The first reading is taken from Isaiah chapter 61, verses 1 to 4. The Spirit of the Lord God is upon me, because the Lord has anointed me to bring good news to the poor. He has sent me to bind up the brokenhearted, to proclaim liberty to the captives, and the opening of the prison to those who are bound, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor and the day of vengeance of our God, to comfort all who mourn, to grant those who mourn in Zion, to give them a beautiful headdress instead of ashes, the oil of gladness instead of mourning, the garment of praise instead of a faint spirit, that they may be called oaks of righteousness, the planting of the Lord, that he may be glorified. They shall build up the ancient ruins. They shall raise up the former devastations. They shall repair the ruined cities, the devastations of many generations. The word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. The Lord be with you. The Holy Gospel is written in the fourth chapter of the Gospel according to St. Luke, beginning at the 16th verse. Jesus came to Nazareth, where he had been brought up, and as was his custom, he went to the synagogue on the Sabbath day, and he stood up to read. And the scroll of the prophet Isaiah was given to him. He unrolled the scroll and found the place where it, it was written. The Spirit of the Lord is upon me, because he has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim liberty to the captives, and recovering of sight to the blind, to set at liberty those who are oppressed, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. And he rolled up the scroll and gave it back to the attendant and sat down, and the eyes of all in the synagogue were fixed on him. And he began to say to them, Today, this scripture has been fulfilled in your hearing. And all spoke well of him and marveled at the gracious words that were coming from his mouth. And they said, Is this not Joseph's son? And he said to them, Doubtless you will quote to me this proverb, Physician, heal yourself. What we have heard you did at Capernaum, do here in your hometown as well. And he said, Truly I say to you, no prophet is acceptable in his hometown. But in truth I tell you, there were many widows of Israel in the days of Elijah, when the heavens were shut up three years and six months, and a great famine came over all the land. And Elijah was sent to none of them, but only to Zarephath, in the land of Sidon, to a woman who was a widow. And there were many lepers in Israel in the time of the prophet Elisha, 
and none of them was cleansed, but only Naaman the Syrian. When they heard these things, all in the synagogue were filled with wrath, and they rose up and drove him out of the town and brought him to the brow of the hill on which their town was built, so that they could throw him down the cliff. But passing through their midst, he went away. The Gospel of Christ. Praise be to you, O Christ. Please pray with me. Father, grant us all now to live out the anointing of your Holy Spirit, by whom your, spirit, your Son was anointed to proclaim the year of your favor, in whose name we pray. Amen. You may be seated. My apologies in advance, I'm just struggling through a cold right now, so please bear with me. Uh, the, the last time I was in my home country in the Philippines was December 2019. That was to go there to celebrate my grandmother's 100th birthday. Since I would be there visiting for two weeks, the church where I grew up in Manila invited me to preach on that following Sunday after I arrived. Now, I had just preached here on Christmas, so I just reworked that same sermon so that it could be easily be translated by my uncle, who's a deacon in that church. So he would be, I would be preaching in English, and he would be preaching in Chinese. So that would be my first time preaching back home at my home church, where I was, in fact, notorious as a troublemaker growing up. <laughs> now, I met again after 18 years, uh, my Sunday school teacher, who had put up with me, and she got to hear me preach. She got to see me now as a very, very different person from this obnoxious kid she once knew. And after the service, the, the church showed me immense hospitality. I was treated like some uh, small-town celebrity at his homecoming. There was this whole spread of local delicacies during tea time, after service. And then after that, there was more food. I was treated to a community lunch with the senior pastor at a local Chinese restaurant. The whole Lazy Susan, it was, it was a feast. Now, needless to say, my last visit home is just one of my most treasured memories recently. Now, I got to think back to my experience after reading today's gospel story. See, I was around the same age as Jesus was when he got to go back home to Nazareth to preach at probably the synagogue where he grew up in. The main difference, of course, between my experience and Jesus' experience is at the end of our preaching, my home church didn't want to kill me. <laughs> I mean, G Jesus, as we just read, he was initially treated like a, like a hometown celebrity himself, right? But after what he preached to be probably his shortest recorded sermon, everyone, wanted to kill him. I mean, just think about that. That's a pretty extreme reaction to someone that you had grown up with, that you had watched growing up, who for all his life was pretty much perfect, <laughs> who have, you've only heard amazing reports when he had finally left town about all these miracles and wonderful things he, were, he was doing for people around the area. I mean, it's really one thing to be super offended by this Jesus guy you grew up with, but wanting to suddenly kill him? I mean, what exactly did Jesus say that instantly turned his hometown into this raging mob against him? Now, first of all, Jesus claimed in the sermon that he's bringing the new creation, not just to Israel, 
but to the whole world. Like he preached from the text, his text was Isaiah 61, he got the scroll, unrolled it, found a place. The whole chapter, if you read it for yourself, is this future picture of a new Garden of Eden. But what we're interested here is that it foretold of Messiah, which is meaning anointed in the Hebrew language. This Messiah is personally anointed by the Spirit of God to realize this cosmic year of the Lord's favor. The year of the Lord's favor, or the Jubilee. This isn't actually 365 days long. It's this Jewish idea that presses the reset button over all of Israel nationwide every 50 years, which basically redistributes wealth fairly throughout the country. Debts are canceled. Land and property goes back to their ancestral owners, and all slaves are freed. But the prophet foresaw this jubilee, not just in a country, but for the entire universe. And this cosmic jubilee isn't just in economic terms, but it's spiritual, it's relational, it's physical, material. So far, as we're going through the series in Luke, we've seen the Holy Spirit do His thing, right? But He's just in the background. He's speaking, singing through people about Jesus. He's there anointing Jesus in His baptism. He's there leading Jesus into the wilderness to be tempted. But at this point now, finally, Jesus makes His own self-assessment. His own words, understanding of Himself, His mission, His relationship with the Spirit. And this is what He clearly says. I am anointed by the Holy Spirit of God. And so, I'm going to do what I'm anointed to do. And that is to bring the cosmic year of the Lord's favor here now. That sounds amazing, right? This is now prophecy, thousands of years old. That's coming true at last. So why would people be so upset by this? Let's imagine someone who had grown up here at Little T. We witnessed this person, we witnessed her get baptized as a baby here. And she grew up in nursery, to campaigners, to children's ministry, to trinities. And then she graduates from university, top marks. She gets into politics. She runs for MP. Then we start reading headlines about her, about how popular she's becoming all over Ontario. And that she's slated to be our next prime minister. Now one Sunday, she pays us a visit. It's her homecoming. And we invite her to speak at a lunch and learn, and the event is just so packed out. We want to hear from her how she's doing. Now, in her presentation, she says this. I'm going to bring spiritual revival to Little Trinity. I'm going to do it. And that revival here is going to spill out all over this city. Toronto is going to change because of me. And you know what? I'm going to rebuild our country. It's going to see its greatest economic prosperity ever in our history under my administration. I'm going to do it. How would you react to that? How would you react to that? That's pretty bold. That's pretty audacious. I mean, we know who she is. We saw her as a baby. She grew up into this lovely, committed, and successful Christian. She's, yes, become popular all over Canada, so she's doing something really, really well, and everyone knows that. But now she's saying these things in front of us? This is probably how Nazareth felt about Jesus. 
they may be thinking the same things you're thinking too. Come on, Jesus. You had always been this terrific guy, flawless even. You're doing so well for everyone. You're doing these great things for people, but now you're saying you're the Messiah? Aren't you Joseph's kid, that, that contractor guy whose wife had you out of wedlock? Who the bleep do you think you are? Now, that wasn't even the moment that turned his hometown against him. It was actually how Jesus responded to their incredulity. That would be the last straw. This is what he says. Doubtless, you'll quote this proverb to me. Physician, heal yourself. Do for us what you did in Capernaum. That proverb just means that don't forget about your own people. You're just so busy going all over the place, healing and uh, helping everyone else. Don't forget your own. Come back. Because at that time, Jesus had done so many miracles in Capernaum, and which got the rumor mill going for him, in fact. And Nazareth really heard about this. Jesus wanted a piece of that pie. (laughs) But they were not interested in what those miracles meant. No. See, at worst, they just wanted to be entertained. Put on a show for us, Jesus. Or at best, they were just desperate. They just needed Jesus to make a difference at home. In either case, Jesus wouldn't budge. Instead, classic Jesus, he goes for another offensive. And he says this, I'm the Messiah, and do you know what the year of the Jubilee that I'm bringing here looks like? In our own Jewish scriptures, God went after people who our own people hated and rejected, even our enemies. Take, for example, our great prophet Elijah. During three and a half years of famine, God did not send Elijah to help any of our widows. But you know what? He was sent to this one widow in the land of Sidon. This is a Canaanite woman. Take another great prophet of ours, Elisha. God didn't send him to heal any of our lepers. We have so many lepers. But he was sent instead to cleanse an enemy general, the Syrian named Naaman. Even these people who were our historic enemies, they responded with desperate faith to a God they never knew. And they were helped. They were healed. They got God's blessing. If you then would have the same desperate faith like theirs in me, I can help you. I can heal you. I can give you God's blessings if only you believe in me. This is what the year of the Lord's favor looks like because I am now here. And at that, everyone goes nuts. The people of Nazareth just hated the idea of God's blessings going out to non-Jews, especially those who had oppressed them. Understandably so, given what they and their ancestors have experienced. But it had been so long in their own hearts, they nursed in themselves this anti-Gentile resentment. It then just mutated into this deep-seated Jewish nationalism. And Jesus was just digging it all out from their insides. Jesus is exposing them. What happens next? It's an example of what ideology can do to people, like you and me. It transforms us into monsters. They drag Jesus out to toss him off a cliff. But he just walks through the mob, perhaps by his power, or maybe the people couldn't actually bring themselves to doing it finally. 
We just don't know. It just wasn't the time for Jesus to die. You see, Luke, the writer here, would rehash the same narrative of rejection again and again in the gospel. And even into his second volume, the book of Acts, in that book, Luke, recount, Luke recounted this Jewish mob reacting violently against Stephen, one of the first deacons of the church. And they successfully stoned him to death when he denounced them for not truly living up to their Jewish identity. And then in another episode, ironically, the person who oversaw Stephen's stoning, this was Paul before he was Christian. When he became Christian, this same Paul would face another Jewish mob who also reacted violently against him when he finally said, I went out to the Greeks when I preached to them the good news of the promise of God that's meant for our people. They went nuts. Again and again, this narrative of rejection plays out for the people of God as it did for Jesus. This is what we can expect as people who follow Jesus. If you would follow after Jesus, expect rejection. Expect to suffer what Jesus suffered. Expect rejection. It's what we can experience from others, and sadly even from other Christians. Now, this doesn't mean that we should go looking out for rejection. If you go out looking for it, you will in fact get it, and maybe because you deserved it, and a side note to that, getting rejected for our faith doesn't make us any better or holier than the rest. See, rejection is not a requirement as a Christian, but it is an expectation. And that's why we must prepare for it. What it means is that no matter how nice, polite, or gracious we are to people, and we should, let's strive to be these things. At the end of the day, the message of Jesus that we preach will get us in trouble. It got Jesus in trouble, and he was finally killed for it. Let me just put it another way. The mission of Jesus sounds great on paper, right? I would say, I would argue everyone in Toronto would probably be on board with the message and teachings of Jesus of self-sacrifice, embrace of everyone, especially the marginalized, forgiveness and grace to all. Sounds amazing. But Jesus' message, the content of the gospel, will always get people bogged down. It still gets us bogged down as Christians even today. This is the call now to repent as sinners. We are rebels against God. We need to be forgiven. We need to change. And you know what? You can't even change yourself. You need God to change you. And that means at least needing to give up more than we care to lose. That's what repentance is. That's what sacrifice means. That's not a popular message. Because no matter how awesome sounding this idea of the Jubilee is, it's really only good news to those who are rejected by this world. People who are overworked, overused, over worked and overlooked, those who grieve over their poverty and sickness, and they will finally come to Jesus, their only hope, and they're so desperate for him. They have a desperate faith for Jesus Christ. Jubilee is good news to those kinds of people. 
But the Jubilee is terrible news to the rich, to the powerful, the complacent, the elite, the comfortable. Because it means having to lose and having to give up so much more in this life. If they would escape the vengeance of God, the vengeance of God, even for us, we need to beware that we do not grow complacent too comfortable in our own consumerist Christianity when we grow cold and apathetic towards the people we are called to serve at our own cost, at our own loss. And we must bear that for the sake of those who do not have and do not know. Just notice how Jesus didn't even quote that following part in Isaiah about God's vengeance. Jesus didn't initially come to bring Judgment, but favor, favor to all. I have come to have grace to all. That time is still now. But Jesus wasn't putting judgment aside. There will be vengeance against those who keep doing evil, against those who don't feel bad about evil, those who feel untouchable, (laughs) thinking they can get away with their abuse of power, and wealth at the expense of others. They won't get away with it. They can't. God will come after them, either in this life or in the next, because God says that I am the avenger of those unjustly crushed at the bottom and against those who are stepping over them at the top. Of course, this message always gets Christians in trouble. Even today, especially in places where their leaders and governments control what churches can or cannot say, or where it's illegal, even deadly to be a Christian. Because the message of the singular lordship of Jesus Christ, you know what? That threatens the authority and control of the powerful, the power brokers of our world. The message of Jubilee, it threatens our economy of rich getting richer, poor getting poorer. The message of this border crossing God, it threatens the boundary lines that we have drawn to keep people in and keep people out. The message of the cross, that threatens our meritocracy where we are told to manufacture ourselves, make of yourself, prove yourself, and make what we can out of this short and often painful life. The cross dismantles all of that illusion. The message of the gospel threatens us and the world because it has and continues to inspire revolution, shake up the status quo, upend the regimes of power, and give hope to those who are told to give up and give in. And people have died and people have been killed for this message. But you know what? God will be the one to bring everyone to account for how they respond to Jesus' sermon that day. How do you respond to him? What do we do from here? How do we go on from here? Well, this message of Jubilee is still great news to those who would take Jesus at his word. We just read that passage in Isaiah, the prophet foresaw that those whom the Messiah sets free are themselves set free to be anointed themselves by the Holy Spirit. 
And they were anointed to do the same things that Jesus did. That is to, quote, rebuild the ancient ruins, raise up former devastations, repair ruined cities. That's what Christian means. It means many anointed ones, many messiahs. If you're a Christian, you have that same anointing all over you, the Holy Spirit all over you, in you. And we live out this anointing when we are, in fact, rebuilding places, rebuilding cities, rebuilding relationships. We are reconciling. We are repairing. We are repenting. That's what it means to live out cosmic jubilee right here, right now. And you know what? Our world is still seeing and enjoying, even scratching its own head for the way this jubilee has continued to unfold in our history, changing the world and even our lives. Right? Think about it. Our world has become kinder. It has become kinder. It's become more diverse, more accepting of diversity, more ethical, more generous, with more people enjoying more freedoms, opportunities, access to resources. Their human rights are being protected and upheld. Those without a voice, they're gaining volume and voice. Those without space who have been historically shoved aside, they're being given room and space right now at the table. Most of us here are striving to be people who treat others the way we want to be treated. That's from the gospel. The world has been so changed by Jubilee. We're enjoying it, but we don't yet see its fullness. We're just seeing the buds and flowers of the kingdom of heaven here. But what we long for are the fruits to sink our teeth to something solid, something that's ripe and sweet. We get to taste it as Christians. We're longing for new creation when injustice is fully crushed, death is finally died, and then even unrepentant doers and perpetuators of evil, they receive the just vengeance of God. They won't get away with it. And the flip of that, the righteous oppressed, they will be vindicated too. They will receive the reward of their suffering for Jesus Christ. That is the jubilee that we're longing for. Until then, let's live out our anointing to rebuild, to repair, to reconcile, to repent, even as we face rejection. For today, this scripture is still being fulfilled in your hearing, in my hearing. And Jesus is bringing with him its fullness when he comes again to usher the cosmic year of the jubilee of God forever and ever. And that's why we pray, come, Lord Jesus, come. Amen. You've just listened to a podcast from Little Trinity Church in Toronto. Please check out our website at www.littletrinity.org to find out more about our ministries and services.